Hello, Ed. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Yeah, all right. You still I, alive? Um, yeah, still here. Rocking still, and rolling. Still in one piece. No, no, no major issues to report beyond the shared issues that everyone in the country is facing. That's right. Um, and uh, it's kind of convenient. United win every time I watch them these days. This is, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, who says we're stuck in the past? I was talking on another note to a friend of mine who is a City fan, and then I said, right, on that note, I'm off to watch the 1991 Cup Winners' Cup final, and uh, slightly self-conscious about the extent to which nostalgia has completely taken over. But what else are we supposed to do? Of course, if City won the Cup Winners' Cup before we did. Yes, they did. They were. They, Brian Moore cited them. He said he listed all the clubs and when United were clearly going to win this game, and then he said, and now it's a glorious six. I mean, we'll come on to this, but there's a remarkable amount of out-and-out jingoism on the commentary. Anyway, we'll get to that. We're going to do the the same that we always do, a little bit of an update on news. And then, because it's the the Monday show, we'll take some some questions. And then uh, we'll get into what was... I, to my mind, a, a thoroughly entertaining game. Enjoyed uh, the it. The 1991. For, yeah, for the, I'm pretty sure I have not watched that game since 1991. I remember so well where I was. Like, anyway, we'll get to all of that. We'll get to the nostalgia, the sort of warm nostalgia, and start nice. with the sort of fairly bleak current Plank. reality. It, well, yes. I'm sure there are people who are nostalgic for... The plague. Better, better plagues of the past. Well, are, oh, yeah, I mean, there have been better plagues. We should, perhaps we should change our title music to, like, Ring-a-Ring-a-Roses. And... <laughs> anyway, anyway. you've you got to laugh sometimes in these bleak times. So, football news. Not an awful lot has been happening. Obviously, football is still deeply, deeply buried, has deeply, deeply buried its head in the sand here. Mm-hmm. And the community as a whole still believes that it will be able to complete this current season by the summer. And so the general, although this week they officially postponed the season, wouldn't start again until April 30th. That's obviously fanciful. You've all seen the models, including the famous Imperial model that's out everywhere now. Um, Even if we get a massive dip in numbers uh, infected in the UK, but around Europe too, over the summer, which depending on which mitigation strategies governments are using could well happen, uh, football would not be in a position to start straight away. Anyway, so sure. it's just, it's nonsense. Um, so, but football generally seems to believe this. The Southampton chairman gave an interview for the BBC in which he said he thought football could start again with no fans in presence in June this is complete nonsense. Um, there was another uh, article, I think I think it was in the Times, that said there's, the Premier League's current plan is to complete the season over a six-week period, uh, allowing the new season, the 2020-21 season, to start on August the 8th. That, again, is just complete nonsense. So just going to get the sense that the whole industry is currently denying the reality of the world right now there must be people behind the scenes in various different institutions involved in football absolutely not doing that i'm sure because there are some very very smart people in football yeah. aren't there i mean it's um, awfully complex and i i yeah i wouldn't want to be i mean there's some professions right now i'd rather be less than a football administrator but i wouldn't particularly want to be a football administrator trying to work out how to save an industry because the industry is going, going to lose hundreds of millions of of pounds along with the rest of the economy uh, and it's super complicated because it's not just domestic leagues, it's European competitions, and the European competitions basically all have to start at the same time uh, because, and, and as we know, this thing is not impacting every country in Europe equally or all at the same time. So, Sure. Horribly complex, and I think football just needs to take a breather, step back, bigger issues at play right now, and we're not going to start again very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we're going to be watching an awful lot of old Man United matches. Yeah, hey, and we're going to win every week. Most <laughs> it's weeks. great. Most weeks. Yeah, Ed was revolutionarily suggesting, revolutionarily suggesting that perhaps we might look at a loss 
and uh i'm not i'm not emotionally equipped for that just yet <laughs> like the, the fact that you, the fact that i guarantee that united win every time i watch them is definitely helping well let's do 10 weeks of winning and then you know a, close, <laughs> yeah. a, a narrow ten, defeat ten week winnings to to match to match Ellie Gunnar Solskjaer's current winning record or unbeaten record, <laughs> that, or whatever that's it right. Is. Look, there's been some stuff happening around Manchester United. Obviously, we talked about Gary Neville's grand gesture. I didn't really really realise the scale of it. It's all 176 of his beds in his two hotels. Yes, absolutely. It's given it's out like, indefinitely. It's yeah, amazing. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's an amazing move. It's a great gesture. Uh, I mean, there's. I don't know whether you saw. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, dumping on Gary here. He probably couldn't have opened anyway because the travel industry has just been completely decimated. The CEO of Marriott Hotels um, gets this amazing sort of address that he put out on social media in which he basically said, look, our company's ruined and here are the things that we are trying to do to survive, which basically involved shutting absolutely everything. So, Mm. um, But anyway, grand gesture by Gary. I think we didn't talk about it on last on the Thursday pod, but Manchester United have committed to paying all their casual staff for however long I believe football is off. So for the games they would have played, I guess not over the summer because they're casual staff. Um, so th- they at least have some security of sorts there. Yeah, uh, it's going to cost the club about a million pounds, and then something that isn't going to cost them a million pounds, in fact, somewhat less than a million pounds. The Manchester United and Manchester City are jointly donating £100,000 to the Joint Supporters Club Food Bank. Yeah. Now, this is uh, it's got a lot of clapping emojis. Um, Including and... me. I did clap in, until <laughs> you pointed out that this may not be quite as generous as... Well, it's just interesting because I believe that I said on the show, the first thing that I thought when when I saw what Gary Neville was doing was like, there's so many, it's so easy to be cynical about companies in times like this. And this is the exact opposite of that. This is like such a massive, it's, it is not PR. It's genuinely trying to do something to help. Um, the, uh, I am sure that the Manchester Food Bank scene is very grateful to have an injection of £100,000 into it because the difference between having that and not having that is extremely significant. Um, I, I would hope that by the time this is all over, that's not the last of what um, City and United do in that regard. I mean, you know, the let's let's... Let's take the fact that City's owners probably could solve global world hunger if they really wanted to. Um, United's owners are staggeringly personally wealthy. I mean, this is probably money that's coming out of the club books rather than anything else. So, you know, but anyway, sure. it's, it's... The 50,000 is about what the Glazer family donated to the Trump campaign. I mean, quite. You know, there's there's uh, no, I, around I, I, that. I, yeah, the the thing about it is also like I know this is like whenever you talk about money and football, it's the most obvious thing in the world. But Alexis Sanchez was on three hundred and fifty grand a week, and so like the scale of it, I know it's it's a bit more complicated, a bit more nuanced than that. But if this one just felt, I'm sure the people are. I, I know for sure that people behind the scenes will need this money and be grateful for it. But it, this one felt a little bit of a kind of yeah. quite uh, an easy win for the club. Well, look, f- football is, I think, as you've said before, small, big business. It, it's not particularly yeah. large industry, really. And no. Manchester United is not a particularly large company. It can no. certainly afford 100 grand or 50 grand. And, and uh, so, you know, bitter context there. The other piece of context is really important is football is a community sport. It always has been. It, mm. It's deep roots in the community. Much as um, there's been a lot of discussion about playing behind closed doors and the impact that attendances has on revenues in the Premier League, or with Manchester United, something like 15% from gate receipts. Wow. So it's changed an awful lot over the last 20 years, of course. So gate receipts are far less important. And I suppose you could think in those, in those terms that supporters are less important. Right, it's not. It's not based on the community, and lots of people come to the ground, and I think that'd be a very wrong way to think about it. There's still deep roots there; they've mm-hmm. changed for sure. Um, so, 
that's a fairly long preamble to say that I think football clubs should take that seriously in a time of need. Food banks is one thing. There's going to be desperate medical need. There's going to be people without uh, jobs, for sure, right? There's going to be a whole bunch of people who are sent a letter by Manchester United and they haven't said what day it's going to be on now, asking for a renewal of season ticket who may have been made redundant because of this mm. or on hourly contracts and can't don't know whether they're going to have an, a job or an income or money to pay for this and are feeling very insecure about that on top of all the stuff that they are going to be feeling insecure about anyway. So... There, there may be room for United to do stuff there as well. We'll find out later. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It would be, it would be really good. And and of course, like this isn't the. So I, my, I have to say, my instinct was a bit critical of this. I, it felt quite a lot of pump and circumstance for a relatively well. So it all depends how you look at it. It's not small if you're running a food bank that's surviving to the end of the week you know, that then it's massive to suddenly have a little bit of the financial pressure taken off. That's a huge thing. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated thing. But, of course, it's not the sum total of what either club is doing in the community. And so, like, you know, this isn't like having a massive go at them for giving 50 grand each. It's just saying, let's keep it in perspective and say, well, well done. We hope you do a whole lot more kind of thing. Right. So, so that's about it for the news. Anything else happened this week? Nah, that'll do me, and and it was that's way longer than I wanted to talk about any of this. Um, so, should we take some questions from the listeners? Let's do it. Yes, mixed bag this week. Of course, we're talking about the 1991 European Cup Winners' Cup final. So, a few questions that we'll come into that in a moment and take some general ones first. Joey Mangini, friend of the pod, says, "How are you guys holding up in all of this?" Yeah, good. I mean, I um, I'm gonna just briefly say here um one of the things that i think is extremely important is to understand the link between mental health and physical health and particularly mental health and the immune system and say that um taking really good care of your emotional well-being is not just like a luxury and not just for people who are struggling with their emotional well-being but for everyone at a time when the last thing you want is a compromised immune system so like daily practices like meditation of any kind, just whatever you like or are into. For religious people, um, lots of interesting work done on the effect of prayer on the brain, never mind the we think of the big questions about it. It falls into that category of kind of activity for sure. Um, then making sure that you're uh, eating as close to a rainbow diet of food of all different colours as you can, drinking plenty of water every day because um, that's just invaluable for mind and body. And then just like making sure that you're taking out time to do things that you enjoy and like find room for laughter and listen to music and take a bit of extra care of yourself that you wouldn't normally take care of yourself. Like have that long bath you've been putting off, all this kind of stuff. So that's uh, that's generally been my approach. That and replaying Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, last time I saw Joey, I uh, drank rather a lot of tequilas and ended up um, <laughs> asleep in a toilet in Los Angeles. So, <laughs> yeah, probably don't do that at the moment. That's probably, probably right. They shut all the bars, the you know. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, no, look, I'm I'm holding up fine. There's. Uh, we have a business which will be impacted, and my job has is in a business has already been massively impacted. Uh, about eighty five percent of our annual revenue. So, um, hmm, I may have a lot more time for podcasting shortly. Um, I would expect it. In fact, uh, so there's that. Uh, the the kids uh, don't have any school, so that's a challenge. Um, how to fit in work and schooling in a day all at home. Um, and then, and I have to say, this is the, the dagger to the heart, Netflix said they were going to start slowing down streams or playing them at low quality because the European Commission is worried about the uh, whether whether networks will hold up under the strain of everyone watching Netflix during the day. Yeah, I cannot slow down my streaming. That would be that would be bad. Um, in fact, I just went to the Football Alley. It was a website where we watched the uh, whatever the last game we 
well, goes sort of blur. Um, the seven one, and uh, for our for the next game we're going to do, found a stream of that there, and they're they're clearly really struggling with the strain of people going. Oh, here's a website that has old football matches. Please, I want some football. <laughs> yeah. Matt Fainor says, with everything off until May the 1st at the earliest, do you think Ed is using his time wisely by negotiating BVD, BVB down from 120 million to 120 million for Sancho? <laughs> I was so, I'm so glad that question took the turn it did because um, I think otherwise we would have just been saying there's not going to be any deals this summer of magnitude. Yeah, there won't be. But yes, uh, he would be doing that if there were deals this summer. There won't be a market. It's, uh, I, I mean, I do, it does make me laugh, actually. Like, the paper's still filling up columns with transfer gossip because it still gets clicks and still gets people to buy papers, I guess. Yeah. Mm. In these circumstances, with football perhaps not starting again for months, still paying salaries, players' contracts all up in the air, tournaments unsettled, probably a shorter season next season, broadcasting contracts broken... Just no chance. Spons- no chance. Sponsors- I'm happy to eat my hat if suddenly getting- clubs start spending money in the summer, but I would say it's going to be less than a third of what it has been before, if there is even a market at all. Mm-hmm. So, UEFA has relaxed uh, financial fair play rules because they expect a bunch of clubs to go to the wall, if right. that's any indication. Andrew Stolsey, PG. PGDJ88 on Twitter says chances of Rashford returning this season given a potential June 1st start. Well, maybe, maybe there's a bonus there. Yes. I would say that the most important question at the moment is more about the chances of this season returning um, (laughs) than Marcus Rashford returning. Voter United says, Are you both socially distancing and keeping your family safe? When I first read this, I thought it said, are you both socially distancing your families? I was like, if only we're two <laughs> crazy boys about to hit me for weeks on end. Yes, we are um, doing an awful, we have a bunch of protocols, uh, which would look very good with someone who had some kind of obsessive compulsive cleaning disorder. But I've now taken that up. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um the uh yeah i'm i'm doing all the things that you're meant to do uh i went for a walk earlier to blow off some cobwebs and you know crossing the road just to you know smiling and nodding at people and crossing the road so like please don't be offended that i'm crossing the road when i see you it's not because i'm scared it's because uh, i'm scared of the other thing um but uh yeah so my mum has a, a serious lung condition so she's uh completely socially isolated at the moment um but uh, so Mother's Day was all done remotely. Uh, me and some friends are setting up a uh, virtual pub quiz type thing next. I think a lot of people are doing that. So in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to do that. Um, so, yeah, lots of lots of online activity and not a lot, not a lot in person. Alex Jamonatero says, uh, would Paul rather have to mow a 12 by 10 metre lawn with a pair of scissors or have a haircut with a lawnmower? That's, that was kind of easy, isn't it? By the way, thank you to the people that sprung to the defence of my perfectly good haircut. My, not, in fact, my better than my excellent haircut. I'm going to say it um, last week. Uh, I would <laughs> rather do the grass thing, obviously, because you can't die from that. No, but I mean I do have hay fever, so it wouldn't be much fun. Those those little flymo things, they probably wouldn't cause much damage. <laughs> you could probably do a bowl cut with one of those. If if one would like one of those. You know, I sometimes say that your banter is stuck in 2011. This one is literally stuck in 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you want to know how long this has been part of my life, it's it's a long, no, long I'm, time. No, I'm only sticking with it because uh, it, it winds you up something horrid. <laughs> you, you, you think it would like be, like, it, like you know when you learn to play guitar and the calluses defem- de- develop on the end of your fingers, you'd think I'd have calloused over by now, but you leave it just long enough for it to soften again. And then All right, let's talk a little bit about there. the 1991 Cup Winners' yeah, Cup final. Yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and the question that should be on everyone's lips, Dale. 1878 Dale says, how sexy was that kit, though? Oof. I mean, Les Seeley looks exactly like a lime and licorice sweet, you know, the, yeah, or yeah. like a green mint humbug. Um, but every other 
Like that 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 kit is absolutely mint. No sponsor? No, it's got sharp on it, right? No, no. No, no, no sponsor. That's why you see sponsor free kits, absolute way forward. Well, as we're all gonna find out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. United have got a year to sign a new principal shirt sponsor. I I think, it's gonna uh, have to be a it's gonna have to yeah, be a it's gonna have to be Sainsbury's. <laughs> yeah. A loo roll manufacturer. Yeah. What are your favourite players from that team adds Dale? Well, I, mean, I, I guess the obvious answer, right? I mean, Robson, Brian Robson, childhood Hughes, hero, yeah. Brucey, Pallister, yeah, yeah. Uh, was, De- we're going to talk about this a lot when we De- get to the game. Dennis Irwin is one of Dennis my all-time Irwin. favorite United players. Like, like most, basically most of that side, apart from you know a couple of ones that, and you know, I've got nothing against them. But yeah, I, I, I guess also at the time, like. If you'd asked me right then, I would have said number one, Brian Robson, number two, probably Lee Sharp, because that was just during the emergence of like Lee Sharp as a kind yeah, of year before Giggs really exciting. came into the team. Yeah, exactly. Although Giggs scored, he had scored in United's previous win before this, which was two league, two full league games ago. There you go. Andy McCoy says, was Mark right, Hughes right to do what he did or was he a thieving goal poaching swine? We'll come into that, I think. <laughs> yeah, It's very much on the latter, but... <laughs> a key, key question. Uh, All right, the, the should coverage... we take a quick break and we'll go into talking about the, the cup final? We hope you're enjoying the No Question About That podcast. We are open for sponsorship, so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show, just drop us an email at qatpod at gmail.com so i mean let's set this into context 1990 was the year of tara fergie three years of excuses and it's still whatever right i mean that was that was 89 but it was the mark robbins goal was in the run so I'm sure everybody knows this story, but the rumour was that if United had lost in the FA Cup, this has been denied by all concerned, but if United had lost in the FA Cup, Fergie would have been sacked and Mark Robbins scored late on against Forrest to send United through to the fifth round, I think, of the FA Cup. I'm not sure about that. Um, and then we Fourth won the fifth, Cup. something like that. It was like January, wasn't it? Yeah. So we won We won the Cup after a replay, so the, the famous Ian Wright, Palace game was the the game at Wembley, the first one. And then three days later, Lee Martin, 1-0, took us into Europe. And we were, without any shadow of doubt at this point, a team massively, massively on the up. But anything but definite, guaranteed decades of dominance was about to come. Miles away. I mean, for further context, this season, United finished sixth. In the table, 1990, yeah. uh, you know, some way behind Arsenal, who were the winners. Very good um, Arsenal side. I think that there's a picture of me with a 1991 Cup Winners' Cup final T-shirt um, that I picked up at the game United played against Arsenal, I think like a week beforehand, something like that. Yeah. Um, and lost 3-1 with a bunch of yeah. younger players. Maybe remembering that incorrectly, but that's how I remember it. Well, they definitely did lose that game 3-1. I don't remember that, but I looked it up on Wikipedia okay. earlier today. <laughs> All right, there you go. Um, so, look, it was, a, it was a team that was a decent team, but not a great team. Many of the players in the squad that played Barcelona would go on to form. United's first um, Premier League winning team. They would finish second the season afterwards, to Leeds. Um, So, you know, upwards trajectory. Barcelona, they were missing some key players for this game. Zubi Zaretta, the goalkeeper, um, the striker, whose name I completely forgot. Stoichkov. Stoichkov, very good striker. Scored a few goals against United in subsequent years. One of the best footballers ever. Literally one of the best footballers of all time. Uh, But they won Uh, La Liga by five points. The other key piece of context, I guess, is um, that this is English club's first season back in Europe after the ban after Heysel. And that is an enormous thing. And one of the very strange things about watching this game is uh, the commentator Brian Moore and co-commentator Jimmy Greaves outright supporting Manchester United because it, it was the representative of 
Britain. Um, yes. <laughs> not not just English football, but British football is mentioned at one point. Um, no, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, Brian Moore, um, he's definitely supporting United in this. He's very clear about that. Uh, Jimmy Greaves is there to to give it to Johnny Foreigner. So it's, it's really it's, it's, the tone crazy. is really interesting. Yeah, it is. It, like you know, we complain about somewhat jokingly complain about Gary Neville, but in in that not particularly liking Johnny Foreigner. This is like our parody version of Gary Neville's in a monologue, but actually being said on the telly. Um, so the the. United season up to that point, the league had been a struggle. We'd got to the League Cup final, but massively disappointed. I remember watching that and being massively disappointed. I was at my uncle's in Cambridge watching that game. Um, And then, and I think, so 1990 and 1991 are probably the two worst years of my life. Um, This is like this kind of shining beacon. I watched this game on my own. Uh, in this like flat that I lived in with my dad and his girlfriend on this tiny table um, that was a living room that also doubled as my bedroom. Um, It was not a good time for lots of different reasons, but that two hours of 1991 have like this precious glow around them in my memory, not least of which because it was so surprising that we beat them. And we kind of batter them. Like, it's a bit like the 99 game in that for most of this, United are just much the better side. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because right now, well, like, I'd set it up in my mind beforehand as hadn't seen this in years. I was kind of interested in what the game would look like and, and, you know, half had it in my mind that United probably... Yeah, scored goals from a couple of set pieces and were passed off the park by some, you know, Johan Cruyff tiki tackering. The two interesting things were United were, yes, very direct, I think, at times, but did a yeah. lot with that. I think, especially the centre backs, Pallister and Bruce just knock it forward an awful lot. They just chip it out of defence, which is you wouldn't see at all in the Premier League now. Um, but the other thing was Barcelona, and there, this was no Johan Cruyff tiki tacker side. At all. They couldn't no. retain possess- possession. You actually were very good about breaking that up. And not in a modern-day pressing. They just got into tackles. I mean, Robson and Ince in the centre of midfield are monsters in this game. Yeah, Pallister and Bruce too. Like, there's there's a couple... And Bruce had a little turn of pace on him as well. Like, I, you kind of forget that. There's one moment where I thought the winger's completely done him. He just outpaces the winger to get a tackle. I mean, he doesn't outpace the, the winger in, like, a big sprint or anything. But he, like really quick speed of thought and speed of movement to put in a tackle. Uh, and there's one moment, you're absolutely right, like they chip the ball out a lot. But I mean, we all know that Gary Pallister had a lot of quality on the ball. And United's first chance is a very, very slick Pallister through ball to McClare. To McClare, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about tactics, really. Uh, because, so I guess we should run through the starting eleven. I haven't written down the Barcelona one because, you know, just a bunch of people I don't mostly don't remember I have to say not not a vintage Barcelona side but one that was about to become vintage anyway um so Les Seeley in goal Clayton Blackmore at left back uh, Bruce and Pallister and Irwin at right back crucially um Lee Sharp on the left Ince and Robson in midfield and Mike Phelan on the right um and McClare very much uh kind of in midfield breaking forward with Hughes up front on his own now, it looked to me like a lot of the time Pallister steps out of the back four and is effectively playing at defensive midfield behind Robson and, and Ince. I yeah, don't know if not that tactically, was... only when United are on the ball. I mean, he he does step out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With the ball. He's happy to bring yeah. it forward and he's very comfortable doing that to, to start off attacks. I mean, it means neither Robson or Ince is really playing a defensive midfield role in that link in you know, in possession in the first phase of play, where today you would get one of the midfielders dropping in there to take the first pass, um, neither of them really do that. You know, this is and, a, and it, it's can, almost Gerard and Lampard style. You know, flat midfield, and you can really see that Robson is thirty four by this point, can't you? Because you know, having just watched Keane in ninety nine. I was sort of wondering how much influence is Robson going to have on this game? And he has influence on the game and he's very important in the tackle. 
But his legs have mostly gone by this point. No. He's not breaking ahead of the ball. No. But his quality on the ball is good. I mean, he's always pinging that ball out to the left to uh, Lee Sharp. The yeah. key avenue of attack for United because it's Mike Phelan down the right. Never had a turn of pace, did Mike Phelan. There's a really nice moment after after the game where, you know, they, they, there's quite a lot of the celebrations shown and the hug between Fergie and Mike Phelan was unbelievably like warm and you could see that there was a relationship between the two of them and you think ah if only you knew what the next few years would hold and how you're going to spend so much of your lives together yeah I mean one of the things to say so uh, Barcelona had a few players out as we mentioned we didn't run through their team but there's a lot of quality in this team I mean like sort of some world-class talent. Ronald Koeman's in this team. Jose Maria Baquero, who had an outstanding career in this team. It's a year before Guardiola came into the Barcelona team. Michael Laudrup, who for a time was one of the finest strikers on the planet. Very quiet game. Had a very quiet game, a couple of shots. Uh, there's there's one point he has a shot, I think it's sort of 20 minutes in, and um, Greavesy says, oh, he's probably been their best player. I was like... I didn't realise he was playing up to that point, but okay. Uh, so, you know, outstanding player, obviously, brilliant career. Um, Barcelona definitely suffered for having Julio Salinas up front, who's a big lump, basically, not uh, not mobile at all. I mean, a big, big old fella, you know, English I was going to say, like, big, big lump is not doing him his bigness justice. Like, he is a giant lump, isn't he? But for the most part, Bruce and Pallister just eat him up for the whole game. I mean, there's one one time in the second half where he turns Bruce. Uh, Bruce got himself all in a dizzy trying to turn on the wrong side. But apart from that, nothing. Koeman, like we talked about um, Gary Bloom's love of Mark Overmars on the 99 show, uh, the, the Arsenal game. Like the extent that Brian Moore loves Ronald Koeman cannot be overstated. And you, I mean, he does look a class apart, Koeman, on the ball, off the ball. He's he's absolutely brilliant, isn't he? Great player, a great great player. I mean, obviously, obviously scores. Spoiler: he scores later in the game. Uh, he scores uh, in the nineteen ninety two. Champions League final as well against Sampdoria, which Barcelona won to break their duck. Um, he scores against England, famously, in which which tournament it was qualifying, wasn't it? It was qualifying for the 1994 World Cup, maybe? Right. Can't remember. Which we, which we didn't qualify for. Yeah, yeah. Um, well done, ref. You've cost him his job. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it might, it might not have been that, but it's, yeah. Something like that. He scores against England in a crucial game. Remember that. Anyway, so yeah, a really high quality player, um, but but not able to really deeply influence this game. And in fact, as the game goes on, they make a tactical switch and they move Kuman back into defence. Yeah. I guess to push more players forward, but it actually reduces his influence on the game. Anyway, so like. Um, Awful lot of sort of setting this up. For the first 15 minutes, Barcelona were pretty comfortable. I don't think United had settled very well, but that is the only 15 minutes in this game where Barcelona are on top. Except yeah, for maybe, maybe the last may- five. Yeah, I was just yeah. going to say exactly that. Ten. And and uh, I wrote I wrote the same exact note. that they're just Early on, they just looked so much more comfortable on the ball. But there's a point at which United, you can almost feel United grow into the game about 15 minutes into this game. And uh, it corresponds with the crowd because early on it's the Barca fans and you can almost feel a bit of nerves from the United fans but once there's the first United break because the Barca fans it's drums it's quite coordinated the first United break there's just this visceral roar and it's such a such a loud noise and you can only imagine what that noise was like to receive on the pitch right um and, there's and a pass from Robson, sort of, you know, big, long, raking pass from the diag- central midfield out to, out to, yeah, but but not, you know, not the obvious diagonal, so to to his left, um, to Lee Sharp, which, which happened a lot, and there's a big roar there. He gets tackled by Nando, I think, who, who probably had the better of that one-to-one, I'd say. Sharp, Ex- willing runner, except- didn't really beat him very much. Oh, oh, when he did beat him, though, he... He sent him 
to the shops. And when he got to the shops, there was nothing in them. But he did indeed send him to the shops. He knocks it past him one way, spins him the other way, gets gets an, and then gets like cl- clattered by Nando. And I think one of the reasons that Nando mostly had the better of Sharp is because he punched and kicked him quite a lot. It was rather vicious. And he he definitely deserved to be sent off for something in that match. But <laughs> yes, he eventually no, no. did get de- sent off. De- definitely took the physical approach. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, so what? No, we have Barcelona I, on top for 15 minutes, United growing into this game. Barely a shot Barcelona had for the, the rest of that first half. I mean, it ends nil-nil, but it's it's United... The, the patterns of play are, are clear. Barcelona are trying to work the ball... You know, They're trying to work the ball along the ground a bit more than United. They struggled to do it and to actually retain much possession because United are in and about them all of the time. And it kind of breaks down with Salinas a lot, I think. And I don't think it really helps how they're trying to play. They're trying to play with sort of Laudrup in just behind. But he can't get on the ball very much. Um, And United don't retain possession very well, do go quite direct, but look dangerous when they go direct. I mean, they're playing into the channels an awful lot, aren't they, in that first half? And it's interesting because, okay, so um, Zubi Zureta's out. So Sergio Busquets' his dad, other Busquets, Carles Busquets, who Jimmy Greaves literally calls Mr. Biscuits at one point. More than a little disrespectful, Jimmy. Uh, anyway, um, Busquets is in goal. And um, there's a sort of presumption that they're going to test him with crosses. But actually, Barcelona generally quite physical at the back. They've got the, the what's his name? Alessandro. What's his Alexano. name? Alexano. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's a big lad in more ways than one, a big lad at the back. And so actually Barcelona are fine on crosses. Where they're really vulnerable is attacked straight down the middle because Kuman is like ahead of the ball quite a lot of the time. There's just not a lot of cover. So it is the through ball into the channels that is United's most sort of um, uh, profitable avenue of, of attack. Well, that's right. I mean, they basically play three at the back, but with Kuman just in front dropping in when needed, right? So it's a three or a four, depending on the game situation. Uh, and But not a lot of pace in any of that. Maybe Ferrer is the quickest of that sort of back three, back four. And and uh, 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 Goiko Sheta, God, I completely ruined his name there. Very good player. Bagiristan on the other side, good player as well. Getting forward an awful lot. There's definitely room for United in the... Uh, in those channels, and they tried to exploit it, and they tried to exploit it with quick balls into into players there. It's useful that um, Bagiristan is like a major f- player in world football now, so we just automatically knew how to pronounce his name, and we didn't have to learn it. So it's very handy. Uh, Brian Moore struggled a little bit with that one. I actually wanted to say something else about the commentary, which is um, I thought there was no summariser because for the first six minutes, six full minutes of the game. Jimmy Greaves doesn't say anything. Can you he doesn't imagine? add anything to the... I mean, like, <laughs> modern... We've just been... Modern summary is a is a whole art, right? So they, they play off the commentator in a way that they... I mean, we, we talked about it earlier this season. Today, it's almost gone to sort of banter a little bit, which I don't think always adds very much, but it's a kind of style. Um, in the last few years, what we've had is the summariser being as import- important as the commentator in adding context and colour to what the commentator is describing. Here, Greaves almost says nothing in the entire game. And when he does, it's completely, it's completely worthless. It's mostly genuinely and genuinely, this is not an exaggeration. It, I mean, at one point, he literally says they don't like it up. Now, he is saying that with a slight wink in his voice. You know, he does know what he's doing when he says it. But he does literally say the words, we know they don't like it up. And he actually genuinely clearly believes that, even though Barcelona have kicked United for 90 minutes by this point. Clearly very unafraid of the physical battle, albeit United clearly did win the physical battle in midfield. I thought, you know, you talk about the patterns of play, and one of the things about it is there's hardly any chances for swathes of the game, but you can't take your eyes off it. Like, I don't know quite what it was, whether it was just atmosphere or the level of engagement of the players and the kind of fierce commitment or whatever. But it's a very, very entertaining watch. Not not at all. And, you know, um, when I was talking to one of my friends telling him I was watching the game and he was saying that his biggest problem with watching old football is the back pass rule. 
There's barely a back pass to the keeper where they pick up the ball in the whole game. I think I can't no, hardly at one. all. In fact, the first time it happened is deep into the game. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. what was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so confusing when they pick it up. The the other thing I noted um, that was a little anachronistic is um, two big chants that United sang. I mean, first of all, always look on the bright side of life. We know that's that that I'll never hear that right song that and not think period. of that time yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Fergie doing the conducting at the end with the fans singing it, it was just beautiful. But lots of oh, when the Reds go marching in, which you just never hear anymore. Sing your hearts out for the lads, the purest of all chants, which occasionally gets out there now. But then the other one, which I had completely forgotten that United fans sing, and I'm sure they make fun of other teams singing it now, which is we're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. And it's Man United. Yeah. But just that's just completely disappeared from the canon, hasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, second half, completely different to the first half, wasn't it? I mean, United on top from... The, the whistle in the second half, right up to the point that Kuman scores. Yeah, absolutely. Com- just completely on top. I mean, Barcelona barely created a chance. Les Seeley, bless him, not the best of keepers, had one season with United, basically. I mean, comes into the team in the cup final the year before. He signed as a reserve keeper. Jim Layton gets the gyps, comes into the cup final. He's in the team as first choice for the whole of this season, but Schmeichel's bought this summer, 1991. Yeah, um, and but he didn't have a save to make. To no, absolutely. Um, there's there's a couple of notable moments. There's the one where Sharpie misses by a millimetre. Defender probably had it covered. There's a mix-up between Alessanko and Busquets and uh, it comes out to Sharp and he does really well, sort of steers it just, just wide. There's an also a lovely bit of un, literally unintelligible Scottish swearing as Fergie gets a bit too near a mic. Um, Ince... Uh, gives a bad pass and Fergie goes absolutely ballistic. And it's interesting having just watched 2000, having watched 99, 2007 and then this, which is like watching a Tarantino cut of the timeline where it bounces (laughs) back and forward. But like by 2007, Fergie was a mellow granddad. Compared to, yeah. Yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot of United fans have this feeling about Fergie that is sort of avuncular. But I've always had a little bit of kind of like, oh, he's a, he's a little bit scary. In 1991, he was just outright terrifying. Right. A Tarantino character, give him an AK-47 and all of those <laughs> could be dead. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry for the beep, Tom. Mm. Uh, not too often in these specials because, you know, it's like a... Warm and glowy feeling talking about victories, isn't it? Yeah. It's like in the good old days, good old days. So warm um, and glowy. So, yeah, great chance for Sharp. That's about an hour gone. Um, and then, what, what, five, what, 67, something like that? Hughes scores the first goal. It's a free kick. Straight Hughes. up chip. Hughes scores the first goal in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a very rudimentary free kick, just chipped up basically by Robson to to the back post. Absolutely fantastic header by Brucey, keeper Biscuits. What is he doing? Stay on the line or get the ball? One of the two, but he's in no man's land, and it's and it flies past him. Staggeringly bad goalkeeping because. He, there's, I mean, stay on the line or get the ball. There's no way on God's green earth he could have got the ball. Like, it was miles away from him. Well, Bruce and Bruce is not scoring if he stays on his line. I not mean, he's a good close. header, but if, not from that far out, you don't score. No. No. So he just reads the, he just reads the chip wrong, thinks there's going to be more swerve on it or whatever, gets caught Never in Never trust a keeper who wears <laughs> leggings. Never. Tell me a good keeper who wears leggings. Um, uh, the Hungarian guy. What's his name? I can't even remember his name. Uh, played for West Brom and Hungary. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the chip is fine. It's, it's nicely weighted. Bruce's header is absolutely spectacular and it's a gift from the keeper. And then Hughes, uh, at the end of the coverage we watched, there was a bit of a clip in the dressing room and you can hear Brucey off mic going, didn't have to steal it, did you? And Hughes, he goes, I had to make sure. And there is an angle which sort of looks almost to me like... He is slightly making sure it doesn't like bounce off the post and something weird happens. But it's just instinct, isn't he? He just follows the ball in and snaffles it over the line. 
there's a whole debate in the commentary about, I mean, you know, he, he's whacked in three feet shy of the goal line, so it's, it's definitely Hughes' goal, but there's a whole debate in the commentary about whose goal it should be, and Dennis Law's back in the studio. <laughs> I think he's sat, he sat with him. I think, I think Law is sat alongside them, hosting from the stadium, because Brian Moore says Dennis Law sat alongside me at one point, and then... Yeah, Greaves and Greaves and Dennis Law, both strikers, strikers union. Oh, the 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 most universal banter of all football summarizers, um, and they they both say that Hughes should did exactly the right thing. Bit bit mean on Steve Bruce though. Bruce celebrates bit, like it's his goal. Uh, there's a good chance after that as well. Um, McClare's put through again, I think, and he he absolutely lashes it over like it's it's. It's three points in the Six Nations lashed it over. <laughs> First one was a bit like that too. And of course, like as I guess this is one of those very well-known stats, but McClare had scored in every round up to the final. And he really had a very good chance. That chance early on is a, an absolutely excellent chance, but I think it bobbles up on him in the way that the ball used to on those uh, bumpy pitches. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a great pitch for a game so late in the season, is it? Um, and then it's it's not that many minutes later when you know you get the second and this one this is just a classic classic European goal, isn't it? So it's one uh, of the, describe what happens in this one. So I'd say this is one of the great moments in United history. This goal, in a way, because uh, you know at one nil, well, we saw how you know Barcelona could pr- produce a moment of magic because they did. Fortunately, we were two nil up by the time that happened. So. Um, the ball, I can't remember who it is, but the ball is Fred Fruiter Hughes and he's one-on-one with the keeper. He takes a ridiculously heavy touch, trying to dink it slightly past the keeper, somewhat befitting the game he was having, because he's not having a particularly think, spectacular game. I think it's game. that plays the ball through. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of missed passes from Hughes. There's a lot of, like, he does a couple of good bits of hold-up play, but commentators are having a bit of a go at him for quite a lot of the match, saying he's really struggling. Anyway, the, the touch is heavy. And then... I think it might be McClare who is, he could have kind of squared it back to McClare. And and I think Brian Moore says, oh, he's taking it too wide here because he has taken it too wide. But the shot, the kind of jumping shot where like he's completely off his feet as as his standing foot leaves the ground moments after he hits the ball with his shooting foot. And he arrows that ball from an incredibly narrow angle with the top of his foot straight into the the far corner of the goal and it is an absolute belter in the interview after the game he says oh yeah i had the whole goal to aim at he's just like yeah it was nothing (laughs) i mean it does not look like that either from the either from the camera behind the goal or the main camera in the stand. That camera behind the goal, that angle where you see his body shape perfectly, and the that is like that is absolutely peak United for me. Just that particular camera angle is it's burned into my brain in the way that the Andy Cole goal against Tottenham is. Um, I've just I don't know how many times I've watched that goal, but it's a lot of times, and it's. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant finish because you often see when a player takes a ball that wide, either he'll just straight up miss or he'll concentrate so much on placement that he gives the defender a chance to run back and scoop the ball off the line. A defender would have had to literally invent teleportation to get onto the line by the time. And even then, the speed of light teleportation might not have beaten the power on Hughes' strike. Yeah, magic moment in United European football history. That one said 2-0 United, game done and dusted, bar Ronald Koeman getting some random free kick within 40 yards of the goal or something like that. First time I watched it, I thought, oh, that is a howler from Seeley. Then you watch it again and you realise Seeley's hand is where the ball's going and then it just dips under his hand at the last minute. There's some weird topspin on the ball that pulls it under Seeley's hand. It does. Still think uh, better keepers getting his hand on that, anticipating the dip. Possibly so, yeah. But, but still, fine, fine strike from Koeman. 
and uh, Seely didn't have to do much else in the game. And then a couple of minutes after Barca score, they, they put pressure on for sure for, say, five minutes after the goal. It's this in the 79th minute. And then Nando's sent off for a, they call it a professional foul, of course, you know, denial of goal-scoring opportunity. <laughs> but, man, just cynical. <laughs> just a cynical, Ultra. most cynical of cynical hacks on Mark Hughes is going through to take him out. Took one for the team. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote that it was deserved on the balance of clatterings because he'd spent the whole game clattering people, basically. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a sending off today because, not because of the violence, not a particularly violent game, actually. There was, I don't think there were many challenges that I was left wincing after this one. Maybe I'm becoming hardened to olden days football again. Um, Just all days football. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is olden days football. Like, we definitely have listeners that weren't born in 99 there's definitely it, united one point fans. in the commentary they say yeah it's 23 years since united's last european trophy the 68 final yeah i mean it's it's what 29 since this final yeah and you know it's just like i was thinking before he'd said that oh this is way nearer the last time england won the world cup than it is today like it really is olden days football because uh, you know there, there's definitely um, there's probably listeners to this podcast who don't remember the 2007 game particularly clearly because that was 13 years ago. So if you're 17, 18 now, um, then you know uh, there's no reason you would remember that game particularly. So well, well, I'm sure in this bout of nostalgia, we'll review games that we weren't alive for. Yeah, I, I guess I, it hadn't even occurred to me to do that, but why wouldn't we? We, we might as well. Um, there's uh, Nando's deserved foul, uh, sent off deservedly. And then Brucey nearly blows the whole thing. Um, Seeley, he, he gives the ball away in the box and Seeley is like desperately trying to stop the ball from coming in. But eventually, ball comes to Loudrup. And Clayton Blackmore writes himself forever into United folklore. Earlier in this uh, run to the final, he scored a belting free kick away at Montpellier. Yeah. That was the second greatest thing he'd ever done as a Manchester United (laughs) player. The first greatest thing being that kick off the line. Yeah, just unbelievable. And we didn't talk about the run to the... Cup Winners' Cup final. It's the kind of run that we make fun of Liverpool's European oh, Cup sure, wins for, yeah. isn't it? It, it would not ridiculous. survive social media today. Legia Warsaw Wrexham. in the semi-final, Montpellier in the quarter-final, yeah. Wrexham in Wrexham. the round of <laughs> 16 or something like that, and then Pesk, I think they were from Hungary in the round of 32. Yeah, they're definitely Hungarian, because yeah. uh, I remember doing something about it for Bleacher Report when we, um, when we played a Hungarian team in uh, one of the Europa Leagues or maybe even the Champions League group, actually. Anyway, um, yeah, so a, a, a kind of a joke of a run, but McLaren had done well. Montpellier, probably the toughest team that we played in that run. Um, and fantastic goal from Clayton Blackmore. But not as fantastic as his clearance off the line, which basically wins it for United. And after that, it's just kind of take it into the corner times, isn't it? Um, it is. The game at- wraps up about, about on time as well. No real yep. length of injury time. And then uh, cue the celebrations, which are quite a and lot. They, amazing. I mean, I, I when I announced on uh, Instagram what game we'd be using, we'd be doing, I used um, Brendan Higgins' Chinatown Branches. Beautiful, beautiful painting of the United End, which is just, you know, particularly now when, you know, the only thing I really miss about football to be honest, is just seeing people gathered and enjoying it. Um, the uh, the glorious celebration. And, you know, you said these these are community institutions. In 1991, I mean, obviously there were people making money off it, but it was so much the fans club, you know, it was the own, you know, it, the, the connection between the players and, and Fergie and the fans was incredible and just that that atmosphere was I mean it's so raucous when United win yeah it really was yeah I don't know if in the moment we really knew whether this was a United team that was about to go on to do great things but it really meant a lot uh this you know first European trophy trophy in over 20 years big trophy to follow up the FA Cup I suspect these days 
it being the third tier European tournament. You know, when we've seen what Ollie has done in the Europa League this year, playing kids a lot. When the Euro- Europa Conference comes in, UEFA Conference comes in, there'll be loads of big teams playing kids all the way through and, you know, not taking it seriously. This was United really needing and really enjoying winning a big European trophy. And, you know, it's interesting. The Cup Winners' Cup isn't... I mean, you can say it's the third-tier European competition, but I definitely, if you'd asked me which one I liked more then, the UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners' Cup, I would have said the Cup Winners' Cup because it it was exactly what it said. It was the, the, co- the competition that all the cup winners in the different leagues and the different federations got together to play another cup tournament. And at the time, winning a cup was a much bigger deal than it is now. Um, so you didn't get it, in it into it by finishing third in the league or whatever. You had to win a cup yeah. to get well, into England it. Well, England only had one place um, in the UEFA, um, the UEFA Cup. Right, So first goes into the Champions League, second goes into the UEFA Cup. The Cup winners going to the Cup winners' Cup. And it had the set-piece final, whereas the UEFA Cup had the... Uh, two-legged final which made it different again yeah absolutely and uh, this is um this is a a fun you know you said like we didn't know if United were on the cusp of greatness I mean Fergie said after the game they've distinguished themselves as far as I'm concerned tonight they're heroes now they're legends like Fergie's giving it the full big and and of course talking of giving it the big one in the post-match press conference, he says this team's going to win the league next season. And he said in his, his good autobiography that he doesn't regret saying that, even though it wasn't true because it was so clearly sort of true in spirit. Okay. We're not going to win the league next season, but we are on the cusp of greatness. Cause this is, I mean, you know, what this team needs is a better goalkeeper. Well, one of those is about to arrive considerably better substitutes. Mal Donaghy, Gary Walsh, um, Neil Webb, a very past it Neil Webb, uh, Mark Robbins and Danny Wallace. Um, so like considerably better benches needed. Not one of those players came on, by the way. Um, and then you kind of thinking, well, get a new right back so Irwin can play left back. Um, and everywhere else, it's kind of, well, you could do with a flying winger down the right, but Kanchelskis was was around. He was, I think he was injured for this. Um, so it's happening, basically. Greatness is greatness is just around the corner. That's right. Schmeichel arrives in the summer. Paul Parker arrives in the summer. I guess Konchalskis had only just arrived, though. He, it was one of those weird ones where the trans, there weren't transfer windows in the way you think of them today. You could sign someone right up to the end of March. And then I think from outside, I don't know what rule it was, but anyway, he signed with about two games of the season to go didn't he? And he, in fact, even played in the game against Crystal Palace. It's very weird, isn't it? Totally weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, just, I guess we can wrap it up there, really. Um, but but if you haven't at least seen highlights of this game and the celebrations afterwards, it's massively, massively worth a watch. It really is. Watch the full game. It's worth it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. So I hope you're, we're all enjoying NQAT Game Club. We have decided what is next on the club. Next up on NQAT Game Club, club, club. Um, isolation's getting to me. Um, we are going to watch not just one of the greatest United matches of all time, but without a shadow of a doubt, one of the single greatest football matches that's ever been played. Uh, Real Madrid 3, Manchester United 4. A game that we won and lost all at the same time. We talked about doing, uh, would we ever do a loss? I mean, this is not technically a loss, but it counted as one. But, oh my God, what a game of football. We look forward to watching that and talking about it next time. I I really am. Yes, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So I will not be standing up and giving a round of applause to Ronaldo, though. <laughs> I will. Uh, that's what not again. <laughs> um, uh, Patreon backers, stay tuned. We're going to do bonus content all about Mark Hughes. Topical. I mean, not topical for real life. Topical for what we've just been talking about. Um, and everyone else will be back with you with another show on Friday next week. And until then, please take really good care of yourselves. Do all the really sensible stuff, but also make sure you're looking after your minds as well as your bodies. Um, As a very wise man said uh, to me, uh, there's no benefit in washing your hands if you're not also washing your mind. So make sure you're looking after yourselves. And uh, check our Insta for NQAT branded loo roll coming to you at £400 a piece. (laughs) Take care, everyone. 
Bye now.